This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. And once again, due to time limitations, I can but stroll to the back of the studio and curl up in that old leather chair and listen in along with you to catch an episode of The Adventures of Ellery Queen. I've just time enough to mention the title character was a private detective without official police affiliation who was often called into cases by his father, a police inspector. Queen was portrayed throughout as a modern-day Sherlock with a fine eye for clues. And tonight, he's played by Hugh Marlowe in the episode, The Impossible Crime. Bromo Seltzer presents The Adventures of Ellery Queen. bring you another thrilling adventure with Ellery Queen, the celebrated gentleman detective in person. Ellery Queen invites you to match wits with him as he relates another story of a crime he alone unraveled. Before revealing the solution, he stops the play, gives you a chance to solve the mystery. Our guest armchair detectives for this evening are Miss Sonia Bigman, contributing editor of Time Magazine, and Edward Pauley, who plays Steve Wilson on the famous radio program Big Town. And now, Ellery Queen, master detective, and your host for the next half hour. Thank you, Ernest Chappell, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight's case will really test your mettle as an armchair detective, because I can assure you it had us thinking hard. It's about a man who could disappear almost at will. I call it The Adventure of the Vanishing Magician. <laughs> Mr. Forsythe. Oh, dear, my dinner will be ruined if that husband of mine doesn't get home soon. You'd think after tw- 20 years of married life, a man would get to know this spare ribs get dry. You were crying, Mamie, and it wasn't about Hal or the spare ribs. Now, you go back in the parlor, Forsythe, and read your variety and billboard while I see if I can't save my dinner. You were crying about the house, weren't you, Mamie? <laughs> yes. Well, we haven't lost the old shack yet, Mamie. <laughs> Now, stop crying. Think of the good old days. Oh, the good old days. What for? We'll never see him again. Oh, don't you believe it. Waterville's coming back. Yes, sir. Before you know it, you'll be right back in the old five-a-day again. Hal and Mamie Dover, songs and patter. Maybe Waterville's coming back, Forsyth, but Hal and me won't come back with it. Nor you, nor Avanti. The great Avanti, magician supreme. Filbert Forsyth, quick change artist. Oh, it's old stuff. They'd laugh us off. Yeah? Well, I'm as good as I ever was. I've kept in practice, Mame. I haven't let the hinges on my theatrical trunk upstairs get rusty. No, sir. Remember that quick change act I had? Riley of the New York Finest? Where I played all seven parts? Why, it laid him in the aisle. It was corny, Forsythe. Hal and me were corny. Avanti and his magic was corny. We're through, and you know it. Through, am I? (laughs) I'll show you all, and especially that sarcastic booker who threw me out of his office yesterday. Oh, what's the use? You knew we were through when you, Avanti, Hal, and me pooled our savings 13 years ago to buy this house. Yeah, you're right, Mame. We thought we'd have at least a roof over our heads. Now Oh, we... there's the front door. Hal? Me, Mame. Hal, I thought you'd never get home. Home? Oh, evening, Forsyth. Hal, did you see that pagan at the bank? I saw him. What'd he say, Hal? He busted a gut I... laughing. Oh, hell. Uh, so we lose the house, is that it? Next week, unless the U.S. Marines save us in the nick of time. But, hell, what'll we all do? Where'll we go? Search me. Oh, Mame, oh. stop crying. 
Ryan. Huh? Know where I told you we did wrong when we mortgaged that house five years ago. And what were we supposed to eat, Forsyth? Your 1929 billboard clippings? Count over, I'll have you know. Yeah. Well, now, next week is next week. Right now, we have a dinner to eat. Though heaven knows, Hal Dover, you've done your darndest to spoil it. Now, sit down, both of you. I ain't hungry, Mame. You're going to eat, mister, and we're not going to wait for the great advantage. I'll have the ribs out in the jiffy if they ain't dry as dust. I guess I'm jumpy, Forsyth. Yeah, it's my fault, Hal. It's losing the house and all the money we put into it. Going back to a furnished room. Avani? Hello, Manny. Hal, Forsyth. Where are you, my friend? Yeah, in the dining room, Avani. Ah, I am late, you know? Hmm. A long, long face. No luck today, eh, Hal? Sit down and eat your soup, Avani. Avanti? Yes. Oh, it's about time. Now, now hurry with your soup. Attention. The great Avanti is about to give a performance. Ah, uh, what's he so gay about? Cut the clown on Avani. I ain't in the mood. No? Then I shall put you in the mood. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if I may have your attention, please, observe. There is nothing up my sleeve. Cut it out, I said. Oh, hell. Hell's on it, Manny. Oh, who wouldn't be losing the house? And who says we are losing the house, huh? The bank that's holding the mortgage, you punchy dope. Avanti says it is not so. What? Uh, uh. Ah, your faces light up, eh? My friends, I have it all fixed. Avanti, we won't lose our house. No, Mamie. And what is more, we shall have enough dough to last us a long, long time. Ah, eh, you're crazy with the cold. That's something crooked. No. It is not something crooked, Forsyth. But, Avanti, you ain't serious. How can you save the house? Follow my instructions and have faith. What do we have to do, Avanti? Nearly, when the proper time comes to get out of the house for one evening, leaving it unoccupied. That is all. What are you going to do, burn it down? Now, even that wouldn't do any good. Our fire insurance laps. Now, you two stop. Avanti. Yes? You want us to leave the house for one evening and, and that'll save it? Yes, Mimi. I uh, suppose you'll do it by magic, Avanti. Yes, Mr. Dover. By magic. <laughs> of our mystery. We'll be back in just a moment to tell you more, but first, Ernest Chappell. I heard tell the other day about a lady who paid her first visit to New York just recently. That was plenty exciting for her, all right. Even though the bright lights aren't quite as bright as usual, there was plenty to see and do. Plenty? I'll say so. I never saw so many people or places at one time in my life. And the crowd. <laughs> yes, indeed, the crowd. Well, after a few days of helter-skelter running around, the lady woke up in her hotel room one morning, feeling like this. Oh, my head. Yes, a common sick headache. Not unusual when you're on the move more than you're used to being. But was she going to let that stand in the way of seeing all there was left to see in New York? Not on your life. I had headaches in my own hometown, too. And if Bromo Seltzer could make me feel so much better back home... I guess it would work just as well in New York. So she up and went down to the drugstore, had the clerk mixer of bromo seltzer at the fountain, and... And pretty soon I felt like my old self again. So I went on to see Grant's tomb and the Statue of Liberty just as I'd planned. <laughs> good for you. And good for bromo seltzer. You'll find it's handy to have around, friends. So get a big blue bottle of bromo seltzer tomorrow. <laughs> And now back to our story. It's two mornings later, the scene, Inspector Queen's office at police headquarters. There's the master on Miss Porter, Inspector. Hi, Petey. Come in, you two. Very cold to headquarters. That means a case. Is it a case, Inspector? It, it's a case, Nicky, but best if I know what kind. Every shake hands with Mr. Avanti, Mr. Steele. My son, Henry, Secretary, Miss Porter. How do you do? How do, you do? do? It really isn't a matter for the police, son. The inspector and me thought it was a lot more on your line, Maestro. Screwball stuff. Sounds interesting, Sergeant. First, I'd better explain, son, that Mr. Steele here is a very wealthy businessman with a peculiar hobby. I thought I recognized you, Mr. Steele. I have read an article about you in a magazine recently with your photograph. <laughs> That's me, Miss Porter. Your hobby's collecting magic tricks, isn't it? Yes, indeedy. I'm an amateur expert in magic. Know more about magic than these fellows know themselves. Eh, Vandy? Mr. Steele, you are the boogeyman of my unfortunate profession. Mr. Steele's a shower-upper, Maestro. These guys make up magic tricks. He figures them out. I see. 
For years, Mr. Steele's had a standing offer of $25,000 to any professional magician who can show him a magic trick he can't solve in 24 hours. Wonderful. You're sort of a magic detective, eh, Mr. Steele? <laughs> yes, sir. The best of them have tried to collect that $25,000. No one's collected it yet. Mr. Steele's seen through every magic illusion ever invented, Ellery. Mr. Steele will not see through mine. You see, if Andy's taken up Mr. Steele's challenge... He claims he can pull a trick that'll fool even Mr. Steele. Oh, swell. What's your illusion, Mr. Vandy? I shall disappear in thin air. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not new, Mr. Avanti. Houdini made an elephant disappear in full view of a theater audience. I saw the old master do it myself. All disappearance illusions are done with mirrors and apparatus. You won't fool me with one of those moth-eaten tricks, Avanti. But, Mr. Steele, I do not use mirrors or apparatus. Huh? Well, Avanti, I'll hold you to that. No apparatus, Mr. Avanti? Well, um, but may I ask why you've come to the police? <laughs> It's going to be a case for the missing persons, Bureau, ain't it? <laughs> I wish Mr. Steele to be completely satisfied about the conditions under which my illusion takes place. You see, Ellery, Avanti and some old-time vaudeville friends of his jointly own a two-story brownstone in Chelsea that's in danger of foreclosure. It's one of them old babies, Maestro, in a solid block of attached houses, all alike. All alike. And hmm? Mr. Avanti wants to win Mr. Steele's money to save the house? Well, I'm sorry, Mr. Steele, but from now on, I'm on Mr. Avanti's side. <laughs> <laughs> the more the merrier, Miss Porter. Disappear into thin air without mirrors or apparatus? <laughs> no. Mr. Avanti, just how do you intend using the house in this magic illusion of yours? Ah. First, Mr. Queen, I wish the house to be examined from basement to roof, inside and out, to satisfy Mr. Steele that there are no sliding panels, hidden passages, tunnels, or secret hiding places anywhere inside. There goes my solution. <laughs> Secondly, Inspector Queen may station police as guards at each exit from the house to see that I do not escape. As many men as you please, Inspector. On the roof, in the basement, the backyard, at the doors and windows. In fact, I shall be insulted if you do not put a veritable human cordon around the house. <laughs> You're sure making it impossible for yourself, Avanti. Ah, that is the essence of the illusion. Finally, I shall enter, alone, in full view of all of you. And you will not find me in the house when you look. I shall have vanished. And then, Mr. Steele, you have 24 hours to solve the problem of my disappearance. Or pay me $25,000. You're crazy, Avanti, but by George, you're on. When will you be ready? Tonight. Well, you gentlemen will have to count me out. I can't touch it. No crime involved. Inspector, please make an exception. Uh, uh, excuse us a moment, gentlemen. Oh, yes, very well. Dad, cooperate no. with Avanti. But I have no authority, son, in a thing like oh, this. Oh, you can find the authority, Inspector. It means so much to Mr. Avanti. My other guy's a nutter, a publicity. He's huh? neither. He's doing it for that little group of X5 a day or Sergeant. They need that $25,000 to save their house. That's all very true. It'll be a sport, Dad. Play along with Avanti is a favor to me. Well, what'll the big jinx say? And he talks three languages. Inspector, please. Well, blast it. All right. Thanks, Dad. Uh, Mr. Avanti, Mr. Steele. Okay, Mr. Queen. I ought to have my head examined, but... Okay, gentlemen. Oh, good. Fine. Avanti, get ready to disappear from that house of yours. Tonight at nine. <laughs> Pull this off, Hal. I don't know, ma'am. I'm hoping. <laughs> that man Steele must be as crazy as a vanty. Without apparatus, impossible. Why, when I headed the bill at the New York Palace back in 27... Yes, I... yes, we know a foresight. You laid them in the aisle. That. <laughs> ah, Mamie, Mamie, smile. The house is as good as ours again. Oh, Avanti, please don't miss it. Avanti, well, good luck. Avanti, I'm not against you. I... Well, it's just that... Well, people get so darn bitter. I understand. And I will not fail you. Come on, you people. You're not supposed to be here, Mr. No. and Mrs. Dover, Mr. Forsyth. Now, according to the agreement, you folks wait in that corner cafeteria till this is over. And don't worry, Mrs. Dover. I have a hunch Mr. Vanny's really going to do it. Oh, I hope so, Miss Porter. Come on, Hal. Okay, and Mr. Forsyth, we'll right, get some Avanti will bring the bacon to the house. Now, are you gentlemen all satisfied? Yes, Mr. Vanny. And uh, where is Mr. Steele? Here I am. Are you ready, Avanti? If you are, Mr. Steele? Hold it a minute. Billy. Yeah, Inspector. Uh, 
hurry up before the reporters get wind of this. Everything's set, Sergeant. Yes, sir, myself. Uh, Mr. Steele, are you satisfied that there are no secret passageways or hiding places in the house? Well, it's true. I searched it myself. It's okay, Mr. Steele. I had a department expert look the house over from top to bottom. He says there's no way out of the house except through the regular doors and windows and the roof and cellar. I'll testify to that, Mr. Steele. I look myself. Is the house completely empty now, Sergeant? Well, no. I met one cockroach in there. He kissed me. He was so glad to see somebody. <laughs> uh, that was good for a lap of Tony Pastors. Come on, Billy. How about the police detail? Uh, okay, Inspector. The whole place is surrounded. I've even got eight cops on the roof watching the roof dark. Don't worry, Inspector. He won't get out. Okay, Billy. Mr. Vandy, go to it. I shall, Inspector. Now, you gentlemen will please allow me exactly two hours inside the house. At the stroke of 11, enter. <laughs> and try to find me. Really, escort Avanti up this stoop and see that he enters the house. <laughs> up to Daisy, magician. Brother, you're faded. The best of luck, Mr. Avanti. And I hope we'll not be seeing you. Hey, you'll see him, Miss Porter. Don't worry. In you go, Avanti. Arrivederci. Until later. Watch closely, Mr. Steele. We don't want you saying afterwards he didn't go in. I'm satisfied. He went in. Keep that back of yours against the front door up there, Sergeant. You'll have to lose out of a crack to get by me, my scum. Well, now for a two-hour wait. Might as well sit down here beside me on this bottom step, Mr. Steele. With pleasure, my dear. <laughs> if a banty gets out of this house now, he is a magician. <laughs> be exciting. All I've got out of it so far is a bad case of yawns. Isn't the time nearly up, Henry? Uh, yes, Dad. One minute to eleven. Two hours. He'd need two centuries. <laughs> Don't laugh yet, Mr. Steele. Oh, here's Sergeant Bealey back. Bealey, shake a leg up this stoop. What do the men report? You've made the rounds of the police on guard, Sergeant? Yeah, Mr. Steele. They all say the same thing. The fanny didn't come out. How about the roof, Dad? You men up there in the roof. Yes, Baker. Everything under control up there, officer? Gentlemen, 
You may search this house until doomsday, but you will not find me for the simple reason that I am not here. Mr. Steele, you have 24 hours to figure out how I vanished into thin air or failing, pay me $25,000. Signed, the Great Avanti. <laughs> Do I have to tell you, Vandy didn't sneak past me at the front door. But he did it some way. He got out some way. Oh. This is getting monotonous. You still have five minutes of your 24 hours left, Mr. Steele. He didn't get out. He's still in the house. Where, Mr. Steele? You've practically picked the house to pieces in the past 23 hours and 55 minutes. Uh, Inspector, you're sure the police are still on guard outside? They mustn't leave their post yet. Do you hear me? I don't know why I take this from you, Mr. Steele. But my men haven't left their post since they came on duty last night. Then where is he? I can't understand it. Not a single clue, not one. I disagree, Mr. Steele. You what, Queen? It's really a very simple problem. Don't tell me. My straw. Yes, Sergeant. I know how Avanti did it. Queen, tell me how. Quick, before my time's up. Delroy Queen, don't you dare. He's supposed to figure it out for himself. You heard the voice of the people, Mr. Steele. I'll give you $5,000 if you'll tell me how Avanti performed this trick, Queen. Chinhorn. Make it ten, Mr. Queen. Ten thousand. You're a chiseler, Mr. Steele. Sergeant, open the front door. We'll wait for Avanti on the stoop. Well, please. I'll make it fifteen, Queen. Hurry. Mr. Steele, I'm beginning to dislike you. You want to chisel these people out of their home. When you've lost a bet, you yourself made. It's not that. It's my reputation. Hands up. He's lost. Oh. Yes, you've lost, Mr. Steele. Our four ex-Vaudeville friends have won. I want to say, And my here friend. comes the great Avanti strolling up the street. Gentlemen, you have the mystery. While you try to puzzle out just how Avanti disappeared, suppose we see how our guests are making out. Nikki, will you introduce our guest armchair detectives for this evening, please? All right, Ellery. Our first guest tonight is Miss Sonia Bigman, contributing editor for theater and radio on one of the nation's most important and widely read publications, Time Magazine. Miss Bigman is an avid mystery story fan, and as such, we heartily welcome her as guest armchair detective tonight. Our second guest is a man who, like yourself, Ellery, is tough on criminals. He's Edward Pauley, who plays the part of Steve Wilson on the famous radio program Big Town. Big Town is the inside story of a big metropolitan newspaper, the Illustrated Press. Each Tuesday evening, Steve Wilson, as managing editor, with the beautiful Lorelei and ace photographer Dusty Miller, give radio one of its most exciting programs. Ellery? Thank you, Nikki. Miss Bigman... How do you think the great Avante disappeared? Well, I can only think because I'm not, uh, I'm not guessing it at all. The yeah. only thought that, uh, that I can tie up this thing is uh, when Mr. and Mrs. Forsyth or Hal and Mamie Dover were talking about the great Avante. They said he had once played all seven parts in something called... Riley of the New York finest. Mm -hmm. I think he probably got himself dressed up as a policeman and walked in and out all over the place. Mm -hmm. Without being seen? Well, he just joined the car or something like that. The only other thing is, the only other clue might be that all the houses look alike. Thank you, Miss Bigman. (laughs) And now, Mr. Pauley, how do you think the great Avanti disappeared? Well, Ellery, a managing editor, isn't a detective. (laughs) Not much good without his staff. (laughs) Now, if I could have Lorelei and Dusty Miller and Fletch to help me out, I, I sound like an expert. Well, I'll just have to take the flyer and say that I'll string along with Miss Bigman on yeah. their solution. Matter of fact, I actually have some mental notes here in that direction. I follow pretty closely what she uh-huh. did. Uh, in other words, my mind goes back to the fact that there was a quick change artist involved, and I think that, uh, like a lot of the actual function of these disappearing tricks is that it happens before we actually think it. Thank you, Mr. Farley and Miss Bigman. We're going to tell you the correct solution to tonight's mystery in a moment. But first, Ernest Chappell has a most important word to say to you. Friends, before you crumple a piece of paper to toss it into the fire, wait half a second and think about this. Waste paper is mighty valuable. America's paper mills need every scrap in order to produce enough new paper and paperboard to make the containers and cartons that are so essential. Now, you'll be doing your country a real service if, instead of burning waste paper or otherwise disposing of it, 
You sell it to junk dealers, donate it to charitable organizations, or hold it for your local salvage committee. Consult your newspaper for dates of collection. We've got to get our mills back to full production so they can make the cartons for food, the containers for shells, the bomb fins, camouflage paper, dozens of other vital products needed to win the war. <laughs> All right, Mr. Steele. Cough up. Amandy, here's my check for 25000 And I still can't believe you did it. My friends and I thank you, Mr. Steele. But you've got to tell me how you did it. I've just paid a lot of money for not knowing. Yes, I think we ought to tell, Mr. Steele, eh, Mr. Vandy? You've solved my illusion, Mr. Queen. Oh, he always solves everything, Mr. Vandy. Gallery, please. I tell you, if you don't, I won't sleep tonight. All right, Lily. Well, our magician went into the house. Two hours later, we searched it, and he was gone. Vanished, as he claimed, in thin air. Yet the reports from the policeman on guard at every exit from the house were that Mr. Avanti had not left. But he did leave, Henry. That's a fact. Yes, sir. Consequently, when your policeman said he hadn't left, they only thought he hadn't. He has. You mean Mr. Avanti got out of the house under the eyes of grown policemen without their knowing it? It's the only possible explanation, Nicky. But how? Well, what was the situation? A house surrounded by police, men in uniform, a couple of dozen of them. Take the roof. Eight uniformed police on guard. Let's consider those eight policemen. Each officer, wherever he turned, saw another officer, another blue coat. The police uniform is a great leveler of personality. And besides, Mr. Avanti cleverly set the time of the illusion at night when visibility is poor. <laughs> because the roof held the largest congregation of police, I say Mr. Avanti got away by the roof disguised in a police uniform. Oh, sure. What a fool. What a fool. Confirmation? Yes. Mr. Vanty asked for two hours, when obviously a few minutes would have sufficed. Why did he ask for two hours? Because he's a student of human nature, like all magicians. He knew that in two hours, the watching police would be bored, that their vigilance would relax, that they'd start trudging around the roof to keep warm, smoking, chattering, milling about, so that Avanti, watching from inside the roof trap door, merely had to wait for a single instant when none of the eight pairs of eyes was on the roof door, and in that instant, slipped noiselessly out onto the roof in a policeman's uniform. And there he was, on the roof at night, just another officer of the law. Oh, oh, he might have done the same thing, not disguised. But he knew he'd never be able to get off the roof once he slipped out of the trap door without being spotted. Dressed as a policeman, however, all he had to do from that moment on was saunter quietly about among the eight real policemen, minding his own business, until he saw a chance to slip on to an adjoining roof. Remember, this is an attached house. And make his escape from some house farther down the street. <laughs> he may just make the trick possible by insisting on a big police guard. But where did Mr. Avanti get the policeman's uniform, Ellery? There is even a clue to that. We've all been told that Mr. Forsythe, the quick-change artist, lives in the house and his old theatrical trunk is in his room. And what was the sketch Forsythe used to do in the glamour days of vaudeville? He used to play all seven parts in a skit called Riley of the New York Finest. So in Forsythe's trunk, there must have been a New York policeman's uniform. Mr. Avanti, I should like to shake the hand of an artist. No, no, Mr. Queen. The honor is mine. Believe me, Mr. Queen, I am so happy it wasn't you I challenged to solve my illusion of the vanishing magician. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you have the solution to the mystery. I want to thank Miss Sigmund and Mr. Pauley for appearing as guest armchair detectives this evening. We want especially to compliment both of them for their skill in solving the crime. We have for both Miss Sigmund and Mr. Pauley a personal gift from Bromo Seltzer, also an autographed copy of my latest mystery anthology, The Female of the Species, and a subscription to Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine. Hang on now, friends, because Ellery will be right back to tell you about next week's mystery. Meanwhile, you can grab a seat aboard the one and only talking train. Here we go. All aboard. Fight, headache, three ways. Yes, that's the right track to quick, effective relief from common sick headache. Bromo Seltzer. You see, Bromo Seltzer fights headache not one, but three ways. Bromo Seltzer quickly helps relieve that pain in your head. 
Romo Seltzer quickly helps settle upset stomach. Romo Seltzer quickly helps calm jumpy nerves. Now, you can take Romo Seltzer while it's fizzing or after it settles down. Use it only as directed on the label for frequent or persistent headaches. See your doctor. But when it comes to common sick headaches, take a tip from our educated train. Fight headache three ways. And now, Ellery, suppose you tell us about next week's case. Huh? Sure, Cat. Sure, Chappie. Well, ladies and gentlemen, next week, a young lady offers me $5,000 to get back the stolen sum of $3. I can't tell you more. I tell you too much. So I'll just caution you to get your thinking caps all shined up next Saturday for the adventure of the $3 robbery. <laughs> And don't forget the other great Romo Seltzer show friends, Vox Pop, the show that travels America. Next Monday, Vox Pop starts its 12th year on the air. That's it, its 12th year in radio when it takes you to Halifax, Nova Scotia for interviews with Canadian Navy U-boat fighters. Don't miss Vox Pop next Monday. Consult your local paper for the time and station. Music for the Adventures of Ellery Queen is by Charles Paul. Stay tuned for Fibber McGee and Molly next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Marion and Jim Jordan to wear the costumes of Fibber McGee and Molly as we hear about the time that Fibber goes to an auto show with the great Gildersleeve. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. <laughs> The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Marion and Jim Jordan as Fibber McGee and Molly with Donald Novis, Bill Thompson, the Paul Taylor Choristers, and Billy Mills Orchestra. The show opens with Who? Has it ever occurred to you that when you're in the kitchen, most of the time you're on your feet? That's one of the reasons why the kitchen floor is often a problem floor. It gets more than average wear. And besides, you just can't help spilling things now and then. Millions of women have discovered the easy way to solve the problem of their kitchen floors with Johnson's self-polishing glow coat. When you apply glow coat to a linoleum floor, you do two things. Number one, you protect the surface of the linoleum. Keep its colors bright and fresh and make it wear indefinitely. Number two, you save work because it's so easy to keep a glow-coated floor clean and spotless. Spilled things are quickly wiped up with a damp cloth. And, of course, there's no rubbing or buffing with glow coat. Nothing could be easier than using this famous floor polish. You simply put it on your floor, and in 20 minutes, the floor has gleaming, sparkling beauty. That's why glow coat is called self-polishing. It actually does the work itself. You can use glow coat on your painted and varnished wood floors, too. Get some from your dealer tomorrow. might know is the week of Wistful Vista's annual auto show. And you might know there are thousands of people attending. And two of them you might know. Fibber McGee and Molly. Chumps. Dumbbells. Saps. Who? Bus. Why? Fifty-five cents. Fifty-five cents to see a bunch of new cars that next month we could see free at any stoplight. Chucks. Anyway, we don't want a new car, Molly. Well, maybe you don't, but I do, dearie. What for? What have these new cars got that our car hasn't got? It's what these new cars haven't got that appeals to me. What's that there? Running boards. Oh, yeah? Well, personally, I like running boards. Otherwise, when you go camping, where are you going to carry the beer? 
<laughs> well, now, just the same, I get a kick out of auto shows. Uh, me. As far as I'm concerned, an auto show is just a preview of a used car lot. <laughs> ah, there. Good evening, folks. Could I show you some of the special features of the 1940 Hootenanny 8? Oh, it's Mr. Gildersleeve. <laughs> Hi, Gildersleeve. You handling the Hootenanny 8 in Whistle Vista? Yes, I am, and a wonderful car it is, too. Uh-huh. Headlights built in the fenders, fenders, bi- fenders built in the car, car built in Detroit, Detroit built in 1701. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what a glorious tradition. <laughs> yes, isn't it, though? Oh, I don't know, Gildersleeve. Frankly, I don't like the modern trend in automobile design. Oh, you don't? Why not, McGee? Well, all I can think of is make them wider and lower every year. Why, shucks, by 1943, we'll have to drive cars laying on our stomachs like a kid on a sled. (laughs) Well, you'll have to admit, McGee, we've made some radical changes this year. Such as what, Mr. Gildersleeve? The radio aerial, for one thing. Last year, you'll remember, we had a radio aerial that looked like a buggy whip. Yes. Well, this year, we've installed a buggy whip that looks like a radio aerial. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's the Hootenanny 8, folks, always the pioneer. Oh, yeah. Why, this year we have sealed beam headlights, sealed-in transmission, sealed-in lubrication. Who's that sitting in the back seat tapping on the window? That's another new feature this year, a sealed-in hitchhiker. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a beautiful car, Mr. Gildersleeve. I particularly like the idea of no running boards. How much does it sell for? Well, let me see. This car is $850 FOB. $850, eh? Say, that ain't bad. What would that be delivered, Gildersleeve? Uh, let me figure a moment, McGee. $850 list. Uh-huh. And drive-away charge, 10% of the federal tax, state tax, fire and theft insurance, 90-day guarantee, and carrying charge equal to 5% of the 18-month note, 6-5, carry the two, drop the two, import, export, special surtax. Oh, yes, yes. With the various carrying charges and taxes, McGee, it comes to just about $14,500. <laughs> Only 14500 eh? I suppose that includes a full tank of gas. Oh, yes, yes. Very good, very good. <laughs> or was it? Yeah, yeah, or was it? Well, as long as we're next-door neighbors, Gildersleeve, I don't know why I shouldn't give you the business. Oh, wonderful. Are you going to buy it, McGee? Well, I'm going to think it over. Certainly, certainly. Here, you take some literature and look it over, McGee. Fine. Oh, incidentally, may I call your attention to the streamlining, McGee? This year, we've even eliminated the door handle. Oh, say you have, haven't you? Well. How do you open the doors? Uh, open the doors? Well, you just... Uh, uh, for goodness sake, I wonder how you do open the doors. <laughs> <laughs> well, excuse me while I call up the sales manager and find out. <laughs> Come on, Molly. 14500 bucks is too rich for my blood. I want to go set in a dump truck for a few minutes. Well, now, I think it was mean of you to let Mr. Gildersleeve think you were going to buy it. I told him as our next-door neighbor, he ought to get the business, and that's what I was doing. What? Giving him the business. (laughs) Well, it's a beautiful car. And look at this color chart. Huh? You can get a Hootenanny 8 in jealous green, burnt toast brown, taxi cab yellow, spank baby red, (laughs) and parlor pink. You can, eh? Yes. See, when I first started buying cars back about 1909, all you could get them in was black. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Remember that first car I owned, Molly? Let me see now. Was that the Stoddard Dayton or the Chalmers? That was the Winton. Or was it the Brush? <laughs> no, I think that was the Stanley Steamer. It was the Stanley Steamer, uh-huh, McGee. Yeah. And what a wonderful car for picking. Yeah. Remember how we used to cook the sauerkraut and weenies on the radiator? <laughs> ah, those were the days. Nah, I don't know. They weren't so hot. It was kind of tough on the farmers in them days. Why on the farmers? Well, they kept them busy all day pulling automobiles out of mud holes and all night hauling fresh water for the mud holes. <laughs> well, hello there, Johnny. Hello, daughter. How do you like the auto show? Oh, it's very interesting, Mr. Oldtimer. The cars are certainly beautiful this year. Hey! <laughs> They're much better designed, too. Now, take visibility, for instance. Why, you can sit in some of these cars and see two years' payments ahead. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good, Johnny. 
But that ain't the way I heard it. <laughs> the way I heard it, one feller says to t'other feller, Say, want to buy some tickets for the Fibber McGee and Molly? What you mean, buy them, says t'other feller. I didn't know their program was that good. It ain't, says the first feller. Such a turkey, they're going to raffle it off for Thanksgiving. <laughs> well, so long, kids. I got to see if I can trade in my car for a garbage truck. A garbage truck? Yep. This year, I'm going to give them road hogs something to get their teeth into. Come on, We only got 300,000 miles on our car <laughs> Just nicely broke in Runs like a top Yeah, and looks just as dizzy <laughs> Besides, I just put new wicks in the headlamps <laughs> Why, that car has had the most loving care Why, I, I, I've treated it like a baby I know you have, dearie. Yeah. And it's just crying to be changed. <laughs> Frankly, me, I'm ashamed to ride in that old jalopy. Why, the seats are so high, I feel like I was riding on a Ferris wheel. The neighbors think Step that... Step right we... over here, folks. The latest thing in accessories. Windshield wipers, rear view mirrors, gear shift knobs, piston rings, spark plugs, hubcaps, and Thousand Island dressing. <laughs> hey, bud, what kind of a car do you use the Thousand Island dressing on? On your garden truck Wow! <laughs> hey, if he's selling accessories, maybe he'd be interested in my invention, Molly What invention, dearie? That radiator ornament I designed Hey, bud, would you be interested in buying an interest in a new kind of a radiator ornament? What kind of a radiator ornament? Well, it's a little electric pixie sitting on the radiator cap Oh, what does it do, McGee? Well, when you go to park, there's a little wire in the fender that touches the curb when you get too close, which makes an electrical contact, and the little pixie on the radiator turns around and shakes his head at you. <laughs> you interested, bud? No, I'm sorry. Oh. Come on, Molly. Say, have you noticed, dearie, how much roomier this year's cars are? Yeah, I guess they are. Much roomier. Mm -hmm. Now, that car over there will hold three people in the front seat very comfortably. That'll be a good car for us. 
I can just see the three of us riding around town, real chummy-like. What do you mean, the three of us? Oh, me and you and the man from the finance company. <laughs> hey, Molly, here's a refreshment counter. Let's get a soda or something. Okay, dear. Hey, sis, how about a little service? Oh, certainly. We're having a special tonight. We're... Oh, how do you do, Mrs. McGee? And Mr. McGee. Oh, how do you do, Mrs. Uppington? Hi, Uppy. Heavenly What on earth are you doing working at a soda fountain? Oh, my, isn't it silly? <laughs> well, you see, the various members of our club take turns working here during the Yorko show. Oh. All the profits go to charity. We're raising funds to commemorate. Commemorate what, Mrs. Uppington? Uh, we haven't decided yet. <laughs> <laughs> but we're taking a vote at the next meeting. Now, what could we serve you? Well, I think I'll have a chocolate soda, Mrs. Uppington, with the chocolate ice cream. Certainly, my dear. A dark victory. Make it a double feature. <laughs> and uh, you, Mr. McGee? Oh, give me a ham sandwich and a glass of water, Uppy. Very well. Hollywood, cavalcade, and the rain came. <laughs> well, this is the last place I expected to see you, Mrs. Uppington. Dealing him off the arm in a heartburn hut. <laughs> Oh, but my dear, it is such fun, really. Uh, did you ever do this, Mr. McGee? Do what, Uppy? Did you ever work as a soda, squirt? <laughs> You're catching on too fast, Uppy. Oh, thank you so much, Mr. McGee. One must learn the tricks of the trade, you know. Oh, uh, how is your sandwich, Mr. McGee? Oh, not bad, but... This slice of ham had a picture of John Adams on it and some glue on the back. You could use it for a two-cent stamp. <laughs> How much do I owe you, Uppy? Uh, 65 cents. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, if you're through, Mr. McGee, there's a gentleman waiting for your plate. Huh? Oh, oh, excuse me, bud. Oh, that's all right. Hey, sister, give me a glass of milk and a plate of shrimp. Certainly, sir. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. <laughs> well, I I'm sorry I'm so busy, Mr. and Mrs. McGee. Uh, do drop by later. Well, uh, goodbye. Goodbye. You can't tell me that's the first time Epp Uppy ever slung hash. I'll bet it isn't either. No, sir. You know, I always wondered why she had a picture of Fred Harvey on the piano. <laughs> Well, let's go home, Molly. Oh, not yet, McGee. I want to see the rest of the car. Now look at that nice little coupe over there. Isn't that sweet? And see, no running boards. Oh, gee whiz, Molly, no running boards. Now look, Molly, that car of ours right, is perfectly... Folks, all right, get your membership blanks here. Yes, madam, just sign on the bottom line. Certainly, sir. Here are some extra blanks for your friends. Oh, hello there, Fibber. Hello, Molly. Hi, hello. hello. Uh, what are the memberships for, Mr. Wilcox? For the Westful Vista Careful Drivers Club. Here, make out a couple blanks. Okay, Harlow. We'll see. Hey, what is this? We hereby certify that we are regular users of Johnson's Car New. I thought this was a safety club. Well, it is. It's got a taint of commercialism, hasn't it? No taint. <laughs> no, sir. Here's how it works. Just apply Johnson's Car New over the surface of your car, let it dry to a white powder, and wipe it off with, with a soft cloth. That's all. It cleans and polishes in one easy operation. Why, do you know if Now, everybody... wait a minute, Harlow. This tie-up with safe driving sounds a little phony to me. What are you talking about? Why, The perfectly sensible connection, just as Molly said. Safe driving begins with the care of your car, doesn't it? Well, I see. Yes, it does. So I suppose you'll say, what's the looks of a car got to do with careful driving, good brakes, and good lights, eh? Well, naturally, Well, it's I... got everything to do with it. Okay, bud. <laughs> You're not going to be fussy in one department and slipshod in another, are you? I didn't say I... Why, certainly not. Mm, me too. We don't say Johnson's car new will take dents out of your fenders, but a guy who takes pride in his car probably takes pride in his driving. Well, it's sure nice to have seen you folks. All right, everybody, get your membership blanks out here. I never thought of tying up the safe driving angle with waxing the car, did you, dearie? No, but as the guy says when he's seen the measles sign on the door, I guess they got something there. <laughs> After this, I'll be... Oh, I'm sorry, little girl. <laughs> hey, why don't you look where you're going, I bet you. All right, I apologize, didn't I? Hmm? I says I was sorry, didn't I? About what? Bumping into you. Oh, that's okay, mister. It didn't hurt. Then what are you hollering about? Well, gee, I... Hmm? I says, what are you how? Oh, forget it, sis. Okay, I'll try. 
You gonna buy a car, mister? Who are you? Who? Oh, I don't know, sis. Why? Are you selling them? <laughs> yes. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, go on. I don't believe it. Why? You're too little, that's why. Oh, no, I'm not. Oh, yes, you are. Oh, no, I'm not. Oh, yes, you are. Oh, yes, I guess I am. <laughs> Oh, stooging for the old man, eh? (laughs) (laughs) Listen, sis, what kind of cars does your old man, or does your father sell? Trucks. Oh, he does, eh? (laughs) Well, you're the youngest car salesman I ever saw. You do any demonstrating? (laughs) I says, can you drive? Yeah, I don't know. I never tried. (laughs) Just as well, I guess. You're too young to know the rules of the road. Oh, no, I'm not. Oh, yes, you are. Oh, no. Oh, gee, let's not do that anymore. (laughs) Anyway, I bet you I do know the rules, I bet you. My daddy told me what they were. Well, good for him. Mm -hmm. Did he tell you all about slowing down for curves, staying on your own side, and giving the proper signals and all stuff like that there? No. Huh? He didn't? Well, what did he tell you? He said... Always take your share of the road. What? Drive fast when it rains so you get home quick. Never let the other guy know what you're going to do. Don't be afraid to go through a red light and never give a sucker an even break. (laughs) What? He did? He surely did. (laughs) Why, that's a terrible thing to tell you. That guy needs a good balling out, and I'm just the guy to do it. Where is your old man? Why? I want to talk to him. Nobody can. Why not? He's in the hospital with both legs busted and all his teeth knocked out. <laughs> oh, excuse me now, mister. I got my eye on the prospect. <laughs> Folks, Donald Nova sings Good Night, My Love, assisted by the Paul Taylor Choristers and Billy Mills Orchestra. Good night, my love The tired old moon is descending Good night, my love My moment with you now is ending It was so heavenly Holding you close to me It will be heavenly to It's a wonderful night. What do you mean, walk home? Our car's right here in this parking lot. I know, but after seeing all those streamlined automobiles with no running boards and all, I don't think I could stand to ride in it. Oh, no running. That's the trouble with you women, Molly. You're too easily impressed. 
Things ain't better just because they're different, you know. All right, McGee, but you're going to have a terrible time talking me into being happy with our old puddle jumper. Nah, you, you wait, Molly. Give me a couple of hours with that car, and I'll dilly it up just as fancy as any of these new friends. Oh, there. Good evening, proud face. <laughs> and good evening to you, my dear. Oh, how do you do, Mr. Boomer? Hi, Boomer. What you want? Saw your car in the parking lot here and thought you might give me a lift home. Why, certainly, Mr. Boomer. Where are you living now? Well, as a matter of fact, my dear, if you have a lap robe, I'm living in the back of your car. Of course, I'll have to make other arrangements first thing in the morning. Now, wait a minute, Boomer. I don't mind giving you a lift, but if you think we're running a rumble seat boarding house, you're... Calm yourself, shortbread. Calm yourself. I'll be glad to explain. You don't have to explain. You got thrown out of your hotel again, didn't you? How dare you? Of course I did. Now, stop arguing, McGee. We can give Mr. Boomer a lift. Thank you, my dear. Thank you. And as a slight return for your kindness, I want you to accept this lovely silver trinket. Oh, Mr. Boomer, you don't have to do that now. Well, let's see it, Boomer. Certainly, certainly. I have it right here somewhere. Now, where did I put that trinket? Trinket, trinket, trinket. Well, I know what happens here, Molly. So while Boomer's discovering that he ain't got a trinket, I'll have the boy bring our car out. Hey, bud, it's the black one in the second row. The one with the adhesive tape on the windshield. <laughs> Suspicious little tadpole, isn't he? Yes, indeed. Now, let me see. Where did I put that trinket? Oh, never mind it, Mr. Boomer. I don't... Oh, I insist, my dear. I insist. I have it right here somewhere. Trinket, trinket, trinket. Here's racing form sent to me by the bookie of the month club. <laughs> Dozen photographs of bank presidents Had them hanging in my room all summer Made a very effective cooling system <laughs> Set of false teeth I'm pawning for a destitute friend Poor fellow Ah, well Beggars can't be chewers <laughs> Ah, letter from an old girlfriend Illiterate little baggage Refers to me as a friend in human form you can't even spell friend. <laughs> ah, yes, and here's a life mask of my brother Edwin. <laughs> Hideous little fellow, isn't he? And a check for a short beer. Well, well, imagine that. No trinket. Wonder what I could have done. Dear, oh, dear. Heavenly days. Look what that parking lot attendant did to our car. Come on, Mr. Boomer. Gee, I'm sorry, Mr. McGee. I thought I had plenty of room to get through here. Oh, why, shucks, bud, that's all right. In fact, that's wonderful. Here, shake hands. Huh? Here's a quarter for parking the car and five dollars for yourself. McGee, <laughs> what on earth is the matter with you? Huh? Are you paying the man five dollars for wrecking your car? You stay out of this, Boomer. <laughs> hey, Molly, I told you I'd bring this car up to date. What are you talking about? <laughs> why, look, no running boards. <laughs> again next week, folks, for the further adventures of Fibber McGee and Molly, that tender and gripping story of two people who side by side are struggling bravely against the forces of social unrest. What is the secret of Horatio K. Boomer's perpetual inventory of nefarious souvenirs? What sinister motives lie beneath the smooth Johnson waxed surface of Harlow Wilcox? What dark tragedy has brought Mrs. Uppington, the blue-blooded soda jerk, to the verge of social ostracism? Is it entirely coincidence that little I betcha seems to deliberately exasperate our hero? Will the old-timer ever hear a story the same way McGee heard it? Why does Gildersleeve... Ah, but wait. Wouldn't you like to know the answers to these and many other fascinating questions which for five years have kept America's radio public looking over its shoulder on dark nights. Wouldn't you, though? And wouldn't we? I'll say so. Good night. <laughs> Good night, all. <laughs> this 
This is Harlow Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat, Racine, Wisconsin, inviting you all to be with us again next Tuesday night at this same time. Good night. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be with me next week as I uncover more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.